Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 85, air date January 7th, 2016. You're standing like an inspiration for us. Uh, basically, you're Indian. And tell me that uh, if somebody invents uh, Apple company or Google company, he gets celebrated all over the world. But you are an Indian and who invented the email, I don't find you as celebrated in the world. What is the big, uh, big difference in, in that? If uh, some American guy would have invented this, he would have been a god person for others. Um, it is a difference in strategic value or uh, social environment or some business environment backed by the strategies. What is this thing? And uh, give you some focus on your uh, struggle for uh, attaching with the email invention. Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I have friends, you know, who are... Look, here's the deal, right? I cannot blame Indians. I'm telling you, this is a deliberate brainwashing that got done in 1657 onwards. You can't... You have to, you have to look at your history, okay? Why is it Indians don't, even in India, I mean in the United States when the facts came out with the Smithsonian, Deepak Chopra, a close friend of mine, stood up. Okay? No other Indian did. And we have to think about this. I'm not blaming us as Indians, but I'm saying Deepak did and Noam Chomsky did. Everyone else sort of shunned away. Wait a minute, he couldn't have invented email. How dare he say that? How dare we say that an Indian invented email? And I'm telling you that this is a deliberate brainwashing that was done starting in 1657. First, there was a pillaging of India, and then there was a deliberate brainwashing to deny that we were innovators. We could be good clerks, we could be good IAS officers, we could even be good CEOs, because that's working for the master. But you cannot have an image of a dark-skinned kid who's the inventor of email. That's for Mozart a six-year-old boy who wrote symphonies. That's for Edison, that's for Einstein. But if what occurred to me when I showed you that symbol it said that this curry-stained Indian should be beaten and hanged, if that happened to a Jewish person in the United States, people would have raised hell. If that happened to a black person, people would have. But we as Indians, we've been sort of split and divided. We think we're better than other minorities. We were denied our national identity in 1947. We had transfer of power. We went from white men with crowns to brown men with white hats. We never really defined ourselves as a national identity in a positive way. And that, that lack of national identity goes through this entire infrastructure of ours. But I'm trying to tell you, it's not our fault, but we have to become aware of this. There was a deliberate denial of the fact that we have been innovating for thousands of years. So. You know, when I came out with this story, people said, oh, he's being self-promotional. Absurd. Raytheon spent $10 million on their brand campaign. But now, you know what? I decided I would be self-promotional. Not for me, because the invention of email is not my invention. It's your invention. Because I was an Indian when I did it, and I came from the soil. It's an Indian innovation. India is the one that gave me the inspiration to do that. And every Indian child should know that it was a 14-year-old boy who invented email. And that image should be emblazoned in everyone's third eye because it starts, it's a first step to change that deliberate brainwashing. You follow what I'm saying? It's a brainwashing that's done every day. Well, Bill Gates, frankly, didn't invent DOS. He, he bought it from someone. 
So every time there's these innovation conferences, even on NDTV, they have a special running, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, et cetera. Where are the Indian innovators? Why are they deliberately left out? Why do we pay homage to these symbols? And if you ever watch V for Vendetta, a great movie, symbols are powerful. Symbols are what determine our entire psychology of who we are. And so these symbols of innovation need to be accepted. And that 14 boys image is going to go out there. So I am going to be quote unquote self-promotional now because it's not for me anymore. And we all should be self-promotional. Hello. Uh, what you just said was actually my question. Uh, it is very true that uh, this British Raj or the co uh, colonization really suppressed us. If you think logically, if we were not advanced in terms of holistic thinking and scientific knowledge was not really advanced, why would somebody from the West travel all together, right, travel throughout, like, Glo uh, go around the globe to search for India. If that was not true, this would have not happened. Even in our history, which is probably um, covered by the Western world's influence, states that they went to America and they thought that it is India. And still today, uh, we call them Red Indians. So logically, if India was not so much searched about in the world, then people would have not come to us. This is a very simple logic which we tend to forget. Now the thing is, uh, I have two questions. One is we know, all know about the 80-20 rule, that 20% of people can influence the 80% of people. The thing is that we have so much of a traditional knowledge and we probably everybody of us have some percentage of it. How do we bring those 20% of people who have this knowledge together to market it as a better way of living. Because that is what is required essentially, right? Uh, if we even go for a simple thing of a weight loss thing, everything that is marketed, that eat fiber-rich biscuits, come on, Damon, you don't need to eat fiber-rich biscuits. <laughs> you can eat rotis and you can still become thin. Right. So that simple thought, which was so holistic in our tradition, that needs to be marketed exactly. nicely, made it look like a beautiful looking model so that people will get attracted to it. How do we do that is my question. Yeah, good question. Great question. It's probably the question of the day. By the way, um, if you go online to talk about, I think she was talking about Columbus. If you go online, type in Columbus's diary. You can look at Columbus's diary. He left, I think, whatever, Spain or Portugal on August 3rd. And he kept a detailed diary of every day. When he lands, I think on October 12, 1492, on what he thought was India, it's very interesting to read this. And I'm going to paraphrase it. He, sa he says, I've landed on these shores. He goes, these people come to me. They're the most beautiful people I've seen. He goes, they don't wear any clothes. They don't have any sense of ownership or property. They live all together in huge homes. They're smiling. They're happy. They give freely of everything they have. And they're, the, they're truly the children of God. And then he says, with 50 good men, I could enslave all of them. That's how he starts and ends his diary. So the point is that there are cultural differences here, fundamental cultural differences in how we view life. But to your point, 
for some reason, part of that cultural difference when you become quote-unquote kind and nice is also becoming humble. It's an interesting dichotomy, right? Because when you are in connection with the earth, the concept of owning anything doesn't exist in your mindset. You live in, collusion, in, in, in closeness with nature. So the concept of proactively endorsing that and moving that is a very different mindset because it's almost antagonistic to being silent and one. So I think this is a contradiction. So in some ways we have to learn, we have to proactively learn that because there are so many innovations that exist on how to eat, how to prosper, how to live. And I think Godrej has taken like vegetable oil soap, right? These are sort of in those directions. There's probably billions or trillions of dollars worth of innovation that if we just look back that we market, you know, some of the wealthiest people I know in the United States who live up in Malibu, for example, what do they do? Well, they're all into yoga. They all go to their ashram, be it Sadhguru or Sri Sri, they fly in their private jets. They all eat organic food. They don't eat GMOs, but they invest in companies that do GMOs and they make sure everyone in the United States eats GMOs. It's fascinating. The, the wealthiest people in the United States accept our Indian culture. They wear our attire. They get all excited by it. They buy our jewelry. So you got to think about that. So I think your point is there has to be some cultural, you know, I think there's a cultural lab here put together how do we take this rich source of Indian knowledge and figure out the ways to market it out. It's a very good point and I think that's what needs to be done in a very proactive way because we have a lot of meat but we have very thin on the marketing. One more? Okay, let's have just last two questions Two now. more questions, yeah. And then we can have rest of the discussions, interactions with him over the snacks, okay? So Unfortunately, I have yeah. two questions. So, uh, okay, I, I'll, I'll take only one question. So, I'll keep the other one. Uh, <laughs> Do with the semicolon. The last yeah. one. Okay, uh, uh, the question is, uh, see, we, we have seen, we have heard of this term innovation in India, but if you see the, the, the trend, if, if the innovation is happening, generally, a person from India has to complete his IITs and then generally they move to Western uh, countries to do the innovation and that is how it's been broadcasted. I mean, we have taken the example of Intel uh, being again uh, done by an Indian guy. Again, we have Bose again done by an Indian guy, but he had to take extra efforts to go to any Western country and has, has, to, has to die, I mean, ha he has done that innovation and that has been recognized by the entire world. So, uh, I mean, you must have done an analysis and research in that. Uh, do you really feel that uh, we don't have the enough ecosystem available in, in India to do the kind of innovation which is recognized all across the world? If you find, if you have found any kind of hindrances, then what are, what are those hindrances which probably is stopping an Indian guy to do an innovation in India? Okay, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. The, 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 this question keeps coming up and is part of it the brainwashing, okay, to think that we don't have the ecosystem. India has always had the ecosystem for innovation for thousands of years. What happened was we started, we were told that we don't have an ecosystem, that we're not innovators. You follow what I'm saying? This is not a innovation question. This is a historical, socio-psychological question. That's what we need to address, and it's a personal question. The issue is India has, I mean, you have rickshaw drivers innovating every day in this country. What is innovation? They have constraints and they have to figure out how to make money and they have to survive. Everyone is innovating in this country. Americans don't innovate, frankly. 
They don't have to innovate. They're fat, dumb, and happy, most of them. Indians have to continually innovate to survive, right? And even before that, we innovated. I mean, these people would live in the forest and they would taste things, figure out what worked, what didn't. The concept of innovating is within our culture. What's happened is we keep thinking we have to do something to innovate. There's nothing we have to do. It's already part of our culture. We just have to recognize it is part of our culture and own it. There, there's nothing we have to do except what I think you just said. We have a rich history of innovation already. We just have to look within and accept the fact that we are innovators. Do you follow what I'm saying? So I go to many of these innovation conferences. What is the ecosystem we need? Well, what are you talking about? We're the ones who created the ecosystem for innovation. Who do you think runs NASA? Look at what percentage of Indians are at NASA. Microsoft. Go, go down the list. We're the ones who are the engines of innovation and we get exported out. We just have to turn the tide and recognize that that's always been the part of the culture. The U.S. does a great branding job, a marketing job. I'll give you this example. There was a society called the Boston Historical Society. When my controversy took place, I met a PR woman. She said, do you know we changed the name of the Boston Historical Society to be the Boston Innovation and Historical Society, and we made this guy at Raytheon be the inventor of email? She goes, Shiva, I know he didn't invent email, but I knew how to do PR. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's PR, 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 marketing, marketing, marketing of stuff that's frankly not true. GMOs are good, GMOs are good, say it enough, smoking is great for 50 years. So we gotta understand, we have to become deliberate at understanding the brainwashing that takes place. That's the innovation that America does quite well. Its entire media engine is based on this. Hollywood base is based on this. It's just a fact. It's not, it, they're good at it. And we have to get good at it. <laughs> Because we actually have a lot of great material that needs to be, you know, marketed. So let's stop, let's start, let's start asking the right questions. I mean, look at this environment you have here. What more do you want? You're in Bombay, you know, one of the most amazing cosmopolitan cities in the world. You can innovate right here. The ecosystem is right here. You guys need to be just change. It's a, it's a freaking one degree change in thinking. Okay, so we have just one last question. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yes. My question starts with the ending of your previous uh, answer. That is the thinking of the mind. Uh, we just heard that uh, courage is an important uh, ingredient uh, goes into the innovation. Uh, can you name some two or three other important ingredients like uh, I can think of uh, curiosity and uh, can you name some two or three ingredients from your side that you feel it important? Uh, as yeah, I, I can. One? So I think courage is one thing. I, I think the second thing I mentioned, but I think it's a great way to end this piece. The other is you have to have a customer, meaning you have to have a customer. Even if you think you created something, go get a customer. Even if he hates your product, get a customer. Every company I build, I didn't even have the thing fully done, but I would go get a customer. Sometimes they paid me. But I'm saying go get a customer. It has to be customer focus. And the third piece, which I think you're already doing today, is the stuff has to work and be user friendly. It has to be accessible to the customer, which is again related to the customer. But you have to have the courage to go out. You have to focus it on the customer. And then the third part of it, which is related to that, is you need to create a team, particularly in the startup phase, people who have a sense of integrity and energy around you. You can't have people who are naysayers and sort of drag you down. You know, there's a very interesting, I, I think you do like teams here, right? When you're creating something, 
you know, it, when you're creating a startup company, there's a very interesting, dangerous question everyone has to answer. If you think about on one axis, you have integrity and you have lack of integrity. So let's assume integrity, lack of integrity. Over here, you have competency and incompetent, right? Obviously, anyone who's high integrity, very competent, you keep those people as part of your team. On the other extreme is anyone who's low integrity, incompetent, you get rid of. But this is where, in the environment of innovation, where you can make a big, big error. You have some people who are incompetent, but a lot of integrity. Like they'll show up to work, they'll always be there, they're good teammates, right? But maybe they're not that competent. Then you have the other extreme of people who are very competent, but no integrity. The question that'll always come up when you're doing a team particularly, do, what do you do with the people who are incompetent, but they have high integrity? And what do you do with the people who have high competency, but no integrity? Salespeople are like this, by the way. <laughs> what do you do with those people? And that's one of the conundrums you face, particularly in the early stage. And I'm not going to ask that. I'll summarize it. Typically, when I ask this question, it ends up 50-50 because -50, people say, oh, the guy who's very, uh, very competent but has no integrity, we got to keep him and we'll use him for a little while, dump him, right? But it turns out those guys actually destroy organizations because when you're starting something new, you need to have people with the highest integrity and who are also competent. If you have those low integrity people, they'll essentially poison a team because the collective is actually more important than the individual, it turns out, when you're trying to grow something. The people who are not that competent have high integrity. We used to give them 30 days. Either we'd find them a different job or we're trying to figure out how we could use them in a team, but we'd give them a limited amount of time. But those other people are very dangerous people. When you're talking about the 20%, 80%, it turns out in or organizational theory, there are three types of people. The 20% are the change agents, 50% who are the fence sitters, and the 30% who are the resistors. Those 30% can destroy organizations. So you need to find them early, particularly in the stages of innovation. But those are the three things I think that are successes. You know, in summary, you gotta have courage, you have to, get a customer, and you got to build the right team. Okay? Thank you very much. But let me just, one, one thing I wanted to, this is a way for, this is a way, everyone heard the word entrepreneur? Do you know where it comes from? You think it comes from this, right? You know where it actually comes from? Okay, anta prerana, thousand years old, and means driven by insight. And it means you are what your deep driving desire is. As your desire is, so your will. As your will is, so your deed. And as your deed is, so your de destiny. So let's do it the Indian way. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Uh, I think some of the great discussion is happening, and we, we intend to continue the discussion over snacks. Um, but I take this opportunity to thank Dr. Shiva you know, to, to come to our campus and you know, have some really insightful talk. We, I think we are all the more now uh, equipped and motivated to innovate. Uh, you know, when we come to our work every day. I also take this opportunity and would request uh, Mr. Prasanna to hand over a you know, token of our club. Give the t-shirts to people. Yeah. Uh, we also have some cool t-shirts to give away. Uh, so, so the people who uh, answered the correct way. Can I show them? Yeah. So this is a self-promotional part. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one one of this is open here.
So what we've done here is we actually want to get this image of that 14-year-old boy. It says, email. Indian made, okay? And we have some customizations of, you know, and on the side we have the topic right. printed on, on one side as Godrej. So we have the data to talk here. Okay, so these t we have these t-shirts and these t-shirts will be given away to the people who uh, answered, you know, the questions correct uh, in, the, in the start of the show. So they can just come and take the t-shirts. Uh, in the meanwhile, please proceed to the snacks and we can, uh, you know, continue the discussion whoever, whoever has the questions.